It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Welcome to the Giants huddle podcast. It's our first ever NFC East Division Roundtable. We'll be joined by a representative from each of the four NFC East teams to break down what they might do in the 2021 NFL Draft. But first, a reminder, you can find the Giants Huddle Podcast and the Giants Podcast Network presented by Investors Bank, which is the Giants.com slash podcast on your favorite podcast platforms or on the Giants mobile app. Welcome to the first ever NFC East Roundtable for the 2021 NFL Draft. I am John Schmelt from the New York Giants. We have a representative from each of the four teams in the NFC East. We have Julie Donaldson from the Washington football team, the division winners. We have Fran Duffy from the Philadelphia Eagles and Dave Hellman from the Dallas Cowboys. Welcome, everybody. This should be a lot of fun. Julie, you get first dibs as your division champion. I will note we have not had a repeat division champion in 17 years in the (laughs) NFC East. And the other funny thing, folks, is that Each one of these franchises either has a new GM or a new coach in the last two years and a new quarterback in the last two years, except for Dave Hellman, though Prescott did miss, what, 11 games last year, Dave? So I'll just throw you into the mix anyway, just in case. Yeah, that seems fair based on, uh, you know, it was kind of a rotating door at QB in Dallas last year. So, yeah, Dak almost feels new at this point. And a brand new contract for him, too. So that, that, that that's always good. So, Julie, I guess let's start with you. I guess the outside thought heading into the draft for Washington is still trying to figure out quarterback. Is that more outside noise than inside reality? Or is that what the main focus is down there? Well, if you're going to say the main focus, it means we're going to go for a quarterback in the first round and trade away our future in order to move up to get that. Cause I think that's, what's going to require, right. We're looking at a quarterback going first, second, third in the draft, potentially even fourth. Um, you're going to have to give up a lot to get a guy that you love. And there's a lot of rumors out there. I, I tend to think they are just rumors. Um, you know, look, we brought in Ryan Fitzpatrick. You understand he's in his 17th season. He's not the long-term answer by any stretch of the imagination, but he buys you time. You know, he brings a little bit of stability. This team is very young. And I know this coaching staff really wanted to bring in. They love what Alex Smith offered these guys. They wanted to bring in somebody that had that same kind of presence in the locker room to kind of help coach, mentor the young guys up. And then when they find the right guy to be able to plug him in place, as opposed to when Coach Rivera last drafted a quarterback, Cam Newton, first, you had to build everything around Cam Newton, right? Wants to put the pieces in place if the right QB is in front of them, give them that chance to grow. But I don't see that happening in the first round. Maybe there's a gem where somebody can steal in the second, third, fourth rounds and kind of groom and grow up. But I don't anticipate us trying to chase any of you guys like Cowboys. Like you said, Dak's fine. We didn't mind seeing your quarterback shuffle last year, but we do want to beat the best. We, we have to go up against you with Dak if we are going to do that and keep the crown. Um, and then I think, you know, QB is going to go to Philly, right? What are you guys doing over there? Well, and I think that's what, you know, obviously if the Eagles had stayed at six, that certainly would be a discussion. But uh, I think that's the beauty of being able to move back uh, to number 12 is that not only do you acquire that future pick for 2022, but then you also, uh, the board opens up and now there's just so many different paths that, that they can go. So now I think you look at what Dallas does at number 10, you look at what the Giants do at number 11. And we'll see how the board falls and we'll see what, it, what what's left after that. But I do like the optionality of what the Eagles have, you know, at their doorstep now with the 12th pick. Fran, is this full like reset rebuild mode for Philly here? Could we see another trade down, acquire more picks? Or do you think they're somewhere in between where they're probably going to stick and pick at this point? 
I do think that they've got now, especially when you look at the, I mean, they've got more picks in this draft in 2021 than any team in the NFL. They've got a couple of extra picks already until for next year as well. They've already got two extras. So I think when you look uh, at that ability, yeah, like they have the ability to move back. They've got the ability to move up. They can stay put. And, and I, I do like that optionality as I kind of put it earlier. I think that they've got uh, the ability to do a number of different things. I don't know that you would look at this as a, as a pure rebuild. Uh, there are certainly some veterans that are here in place in the building that, uh, you know, are, would like to be able to continue to keep winning. And, and I think that would be, uh, you know, on their forefront of their minds is, you know, when you look at Brandon Grahams and Jason Kelsey's of the world, uh, those guys are, are definitely going to be in it to win it with this new staff. So uh, I'm excited to see what this can look like, how many picks they come out of this draft with and uh, the kind of talent they can try and surround those vets with. Dave, Dallas has what, 10 picks, right? You guys have quietly become the masters of the compensatory draft selections, by the way. People talk about the Patriots. Dallas has been very good at that the last few years, and you really get to be the guy that drops the bomb on the first round here because Dallas, the Giants, and then Philly, back to back to back in this first round. You guys get the pick first. I know you do the draft show podcast, very popular. Who's the one or two guys that the Cowboy fans just don't stop bothering you about that they are dying to have dropped to 10? Well, it's really funny because it's, I mean, you know, getting, getting a top 10 pick was not fun, but now that you have it, it's, it's fascinating to think all the fun ways you can go with it. But on the other side, the way this division shook out, it creates a little bit of anxiety because you're saying, all right, the Cowboys are going to get a great player at 10, It also means they're going to push great players down the board to the Giants and the Eagles and Washington. I mean, you know, people – I can't tell you how many people talk to me about are we really going to let Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith or Jamar Chase wind up in New York or Philly or any of these other great guys. So it's it's fascinating to see how that plays out. Um, The debate in Dallas right now is it's it's literally a best player available versus need situation because if you watch the Cowboys, you don't need me to tell you their defense was atrocious, uh, historically bad by franchise standards, dead last against the run. This is a team that needs defensive talent. But if you follow the draft, you know all of the value at the top is on offense. And now, so you're talking about, you know, Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater, these dynamite offensive tackles. Might they get pushed to you because of all the quarterbacks? Or And then the big one, this is the guy that Cowboy fans love to talk about, do they have a shot at Kyle Pitts? And, uh, you know, Jerry Jones mentioned it last week in the news that he's enamored by this guy. And, and how can you blame him? Which, yeah, I, I see y'all shaking your head. I don't, think, I don't think he'll be there either. I don't think Kyle Pitts will last to 10. But if he does, does this team need him? No. But can you pass up that type of talent? I don't think so. And uh, so that, that's an interesting dynamic where – you know, if I had to bet today, I think the Cowboys probably draft Patrick Sertan, maybe J.C. Horn, get yourself a cornerback who can lock down half of the defense. But if an offensive player that meets that criteria is there, they did it last year with C.D. Lamb. I don't think you can count it out again this year. Yeah, it's funny, Dave. I think the Giants are kind of in the same situation, right? Dave Gettleman was very, very busy in free agency, uncharacteristically, I think, for the Giants. Kenny Galladay, Adore Jackson, two guys at the top of their position class. They don't have necessarily like that glaring need. You can help the offensive line. You can always use another weapon. But, the, you know, other than edge rusher, and I don't think there's a guy that's probably worth picking at 11 that's a pass rusher in this draft. There isn't really a guy that they have to take. Giant fans would love Kyle Pitts, but you guys can shake your head at me too. I know that's not going to happen. But, you know, if they're choosing between like a Jalen Waddell, Rashawn Slater, and a Micah Parsons, I think that's a really interesting conversation to have. And, and I think, Julie, a great situation that Washington is in is that, 
usually around where you guys are picking, there's one top 15 player or top 12 player that kind of just slides down the board and you'll have the opportunity to just kind of gobble them up unless are they really trying to focus on an individual position to shore up a need? Look, I have to address Kyle Pitts. First off, I am a Florida Gator. Um, he was so much fun to watch on Saturdays. Like, there was nothing he couldn't catch. And you go and you see his measurables at the combine, you realize, yeah, he is he's a generational freak of nature, that guy that no team can really pass on him. Um, I even hear rumors that San Fran could even maybe take him at three and decide not to go for a QB. I mean, here's – and then Atlanta has all the options in the world to say, hey, you want him? We'll sell, you know, as they already have, you know, a lot already still going up with their QB. So interesting to see what does happen. But here's the thing. Even when I talk to coach and I say, hey, the Cowboys like Pitts, like, no way in the world will Pitts be there at 10. So I don't see him falling to Dallas. I think that would be a major shock. Every team would love to be able to add him to their roster. Of course, we would as well. Um, But look, I don't think we're going to sell that much to go up too high. And, And as you mentioned, you know, a player, especially the way this draft is shaking out with so many quarterbacks anticipated to go up there in the top, you're going to have a lot of skill play guys that are going to fall. Um, you know, we definitely have a lot of areas of need, but this team feels that they addressed quite a few of those in free agency. They like bringing Curtis Samuel, Adam Humphreys to kind of give them some weapons on offense. They really like the addition of Will Jackson III from the Bengals because uh, that was an area that we needed, um, you know, to add to cornerback or secondary. It, it, if you're going to look at where we think we're going to target um, at 19, kind of hoping that maybe, look, we need a linebacker. You know, maybe there's a linebacker that falls to us. We need some depth at offensive tackle. Maybe there's an offensive tackle that falls to us. Uh, but I think the big thing for this position at 19 is really kind of seeing first off what all three of you guys do and the few moves ahead of us to see which way do we adjust and then go from that, which is going to make it really interesting at 19. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing, and I'll just leave this open to the field, take it whoever you like. When do you think the first defensive player is going in this draft? I mean, we were in talking. If you talk about some the, the receivers or anything, and it might not be until what eight or nine potentially. Could it be? might not be till Hellman goes. Maybe ten. Yeah, Could it's possible. 10? I w- it's it's interesting. I mean, I think I think I agree with that. Detroit Detroit seems like a possibility just because you know again with a new coach and a new GM, you can never be sure how they want to you know build their blueprint, what they prioritize. You know, with Jared Goff coming in, it's, you know, losing Galladay to the Giants, it seems like they could probably use help at receiver. I don't think you could rule that out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the top, the top five or six picks, it's hard to think about anything but offense all the way through. And that's, you know, I, I'm – you know, I, I would pray – I would pray for Kyle Pitts to be there, and I would I'm – not, I'm not banking on it. But even still, it's interesting to think, though. You know, I, I mentioned Rashawn Slater and Panay Sewell – it's going to be interesting to see how people value this stuff, especially if you do have defensive needs. I mean, it's funny, like Patrick Sertan almost kind of gets undersold because all of this offensive talent is so great. It's like he is a good enough player to be a top five or six pick. It just so happens that there's so much offensive firepower in this draft. So, yeah, I I would think maybe seven, eight, nine, maybe ten. But um, I don't think that's a knock on the defensive players in this draft by any means. 
John, I feel like we need like a ticker or something to keep track of how many times Dave thinks that uh, that uh, Kyle Pitts is going to fall oh, to number ten. Yeah, just keep, come on, just keep come speaking on. it into existence. Dave. <laughs> maybe, hey, maybe, hey, maybe you got a hey, shot. You guys, you guys can laugh all you want, but you didn't think C.D. Lamb would be there at seventeen That's either. True. So That's true. That's fair point. That's fair. Uh, to me, like uh, I think the record, I think the lowest a defensive player has gone in the draft was was Champ Bailey, and he was like six or seven going down to Washington. Uh, it really seems like that record's going to be broken. Right? It really feels that way uh, when you look at how this is going to shake out. Obviously, the quarterbacks have a big, uh, you know, partake, you know, have a big part in that. So, yeah, I got to think that it'll be, you know, close to 10 or right around when Dallas picks when that first defensive player goes off the board. You know, the other fun part about this class, and I think it's a rare class. I like last year's top of the O-line class better because I thought there were four guys that were just as good as the top two guys in this group. But boy, when's the last time we could sit here and say you're looking at pick 50, 55 in the second round. And you feel pretty good about getting a guy that you can not just develop into an offensive tackle, but almost put him in there and feel like you're getting a pretty good level of play from them right away. And I think if there's one thing all four of these teams have in common based on either guys that have left or injuries last year, offensive lines always a priority. And boy, this is a deeper class. than I think I've ever seen in the years I've seen doing this friend. Yeah, to me, like it's going to be really interesting to kind of watch how that plays out on draft night because when you look at offensive linemen just over the last few years, we've seen a lot of them go earlier than people may have thought. You know, you look at all the mock drafts and all the analysis in the months and months leading up to the draft, and then we get to day one and guys go off the board at 22 and 24 and 27 that maybe aren't viewed as long-term Pro Bowl players, but if you are viewed as a solid starter at offensive tackle, that is a very valuable commodity. So I kind of wonder, you know, we talk about, oh, you know, you can get to round two and take your tackle, and I feel like Washington, uh, Julie, you guys are a great example of that. Oh, they, they can wait to take, they can go and get a tackle in round two or round three, I wonder when that run is going to happen. And I think that's one of the interesting storylines for sure uh, going into this draft is when that run starts. If, uh, you know, if, if Rayshon Slater goes number 10 to Dallas, do people start to panic? And are these, these tackles then start flying off the board? I, I think that's one of the interesting storylines for sure. You know, yeah, I mean, we definitely need depth at that position. I feel like a lot of times we're, we're just playing, you know, like, I mean, what, when you have Morgan Moses moving forward to left tackle, that's not exactly ideal, right? Um, but all things considered, our offensive line held up much stronger than we really anticipated coming into the season. We have Sadiq Charles last year that we never really saw on the field what he's going to do. Brandon Sheriff coming back trying to get a long-term deal. But I know a lot of team guys are kind of saying maybe uh, Christian Darisol, uh, where he could go, you know, big thought, strong, physical, a lot of potential. I do think that there's a little bit of some knocks against him on his effort. Is he there the entire time? Is he mean enough, per se, when he's out there? Um, you know, has a little bit of struggles with the bull rush, but a guy that I think they would like to really try and grab if he fell to him and it might have to fall is Elijah Vera Tucker mm. um, out of Southern California, versatile, powerful, and man, he's hungry and coach. They love, especially the way that you shift those O linemen at times um, because you have to, they like that guy that has versatility, even though we probably need to focus on the left tackle position, maybe more than others. If you're to pinpoint one. How do you think, because I think this is interesting because we've had so many coaching changes and, and general manager changes and things of that nature. What's the philosophy that you think is, is driving each of these organizations? I could say for the Giants, last year they started playing good defense again. They want to get back with Saquon Barkley coming back healthy. They want to run the football, play action. I know Dave has watched Jason Garrett much longer than I have, but he run the ball first, play action, throw the ball down the field. You know how it goes. That's what the Giants want to do. Dave, I'll start with you. 
new defensive coordinator. I think we all kind of know what Mike McCarthy wants to do. What are the Cowboys trying to build defensively with Dan Quinn? Or do you even really not have a great feel for that yet? I'll try, I'll try not to be too passive aggressive, but it, it's interesting. You know, they hired Dan Quinn on, you know, early January within a week of the season being over. Haven't spoken to him yet. Uh, he hasn't had, you know, he hasn't had media availability with, with the team, with the outside media. It's kind of a big mystery. So you're sitting here trying to read the tea leaves. Like we've heard, you know, obviously Dan Quinn comes with this great cover three pedigree. He was, a, he was the D coordinator for the Legion of Boom for a while. So that makes you think about Seattle and the great cover three players that they had. But then you also hear that he wants to be a little bit more multiple. Mike McCarthy really enjoyed the hybrid element of Mike Nolan's defense, being able to swap to, you know, a three, four front or a four, three and do a lot of different stuff. Um, we really don't know. And that's, it makes it interesting when you see, you know, Dan Quinn to his credit. What I do know is that he has been putting in the work, getting his boots on the ground. I feel like the guy went to 75% of the pro days that happened over the last three weeks um, looking at cornerbacks, you know, he was in Alabama looking at Patrick Sertan. He was looking at JC Horn. Uh, he went out to Oregon last week. It really, it seems like he's putting a much larger emphasis on the safety position, which if you follow the Cowboys at all, it's, it's almost a joke at this point. They really haven't spent a big resource on the safety position since Roy Williams all the way back in 2002. So you do the math on how many years that is, but he brought in Keanu Neal to help with that. Demonte KZ, a guy that he knows from his time in Atlanta. And it certainly seems like they are scouting safeties, whether you want to talk about Trevon Merrick, the TCU guy from right here in the Dallas area, uh, Javon Holland out in Oregon. Um, so I'll, I'll be interested to see if he can kind of make an imprint on that. Um, but unfortunately, I'm nearly as clueless as everybody else because the Cowboys certainly seem like they're not trying to give too many secrets away right now. Julie, I think Washington wants to win their football games. Are they going to continue to try to be a defensive first type of outfit, or do they want to try to expand a little bit what they're doing offensively? Look, I, defense should be that, right? Build around that. Um, I tend to think that we're going to go linebacker with that first position. That's a unit that if you're to look at the defense, where did it fall short? It is that room. Um, in particular, and of course, Coach Rivera played linebacker. Jack Del Rio, defensive coordinator, played linebacker. So for that unit to be the one unit on the team that, that's kind of really struggling, uh, I think there's some good names out there that you could target as well at that position. By the way, Trayvon Merrig is one guy that I know um, could be a nice fit in here at free safety. That's a position as well that kind of shuffled around last season for us through a rotation. Um, but, you know, I like Jeremiah Owusu-Kamara see what he could potentially do. Should he come out there? There's a lot of versatility with him at that position that maybe he comes in there. He's out of, uh, uh, he could play safety corner nickel. Um, so kind of curious to see where we do go for that. But yes, I do think that this is defense first. The offense though, um, and I don't know how you guys saw it, but for us at least, that had the front row seat, it surprised us. I think it came together much sooner than we anticipated that coming. And it probably was coach looking around the NFC East and saying, wait a second, we have the opportunity. And Alex Smith, when he made that move to, to put him out there, well, Kyle Allen first, right? Um, but Al, uh, Alex Smith really kind of helped these guys get to that next level, I think, beyond what we anticipated. So add those few extra pieces, I think this offense is going to be further along than we, we thought it would be. But this is a team that does want to go defense first, by all means, yes. How about the Eagles, Fran? 
Yeah, I think that that's going to be the big question. You know, with all three of your teams, we've been able to see the one-year samples here in 2020, even though it was an abridged year uh, due to COVID-19. I think when we look at uh, Nick Sirianni running the offense for really the first time uh, of his career, we're going to see Jonathan Gannon, that defensive coordinator, for the first time in his career. We don't really know what it's going to look like. Obviously, those guys are going to pull from all of their experiences, whether they were in Indianapolis or previous stops along the way. So, uh, you know, it's been a lot of projection. We haven't had a lot of it's kind of like what Dave was saying. We haven't a lot of had a ton of access uh, with the new coaches. So you get a sense of, you know, kind of reading through the lines of oh, what is it that they want to do? Uh, but we don't know yet. And I think that that's going to be uh, an advantage, I guess, for the staff going into uh, this part of the draft is just trying to understand. All right, this is. Well, what their first crack at really trying to build on uh, building blocks that, that they can acquire here uh, from this rookie class. You know, Fran, I think the- for us real quick is that, you know, look, last season, it was Ron Rivera making all the calls. Now, number right. two overall, that was easy, but the rest of it, it was all coach Rivera. We didn't have a general manager. And now on top of that, you go and you get a general manager with Martin Mayhew, you get an executive VP of uh, football player personnel and Marty Herney. You have, I think we added up, you have like 120 years of experience in that room, collaborating, working together to take a lot of that pressure off coach to make these decisions. And so uh, there's definitely some new ads here as well. Limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Hey, Giant fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with the Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. Don't miss it on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. You know, Fran, I think it's interesting, right? New coaching staff, but the guy that brought in the playmakers that you've dedicated a fair amount of resources to the last couple of drafts, right? They have a lot of young playmakers on the roster. Same general manager, different coaches. Is that a position you think they're going to go back to to try to add another high-quality playmaker to, you know, Jalen Rager, Hightower, guys like that? Or do you think they might be focusing elsewhere? No, I think that that's the, the again, going back to what I said earlier, the, the beauty of them getting to where they did at 12. Uh, I, I think if they had stayed at six, it was really like a two or three man conversation at that point when you're looking at round one of the draft. Uh, you know, you're looking at Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts and, you know, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith. You're talking about those playmakers. Now, if one of those guys falls, that's great. If one of the corners falls, that's great. Uh, if one of the offensive linemen, if they want to go to a different position, defensive end, linebacker, all those options are on the table. I think that with 11 picks, it would shock me if they didn't address a bunch of these positions. But I think the, the beautiful part of it is, too, they took three receivers a year ago. You know, they took Jalen Rager. Uh, they were able to pick John Hightower, Quez Watkins on day three. All of those guys got to see significant reps due to injury here in 2020. They also got another guy off the waiver wire uh, back in the summer and Travis Fulgham, who had some outstanding moments through the year as well. So you ha- saw a lot of young receivers come in. They were able to keep the receivers coach, Aaron Moorhead. He stays in, so you have some continuity in that room. So uh, I'll be interested to see if they decide that they want to go down that path. I don't know that it's a necessity, though, and I, I, my guess is that they would feel that way as well. We haven't talked. Go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry, Dave. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're totally fine. I just, you know, Cowboy fans hate when I say stuff like this, but I just, I think the world of what Philly did with that trade, because maybe I'm wrong, and I'll eat crow if I am, 
I don't think that roster is as bad as the record suggests that it was. And so you talk about, you know, they're going to be at 12 where, you know, maybe a Jamar Chase still somehow falls in your lap. Or even if he doesn't, you'll have your pick probably between the second best corner in the draft or maybe the second or third best receiver in the draft. And oh, by the way, now you have resources that you can uh, use to address your quarterback position in the future if you need to. Um, or just, or just stock up. I mean, if Jalen hurts is the guy you can stock up next year with all those picks. Like, I just think that was a fantastic decision on their part to say, we're probably better than we looked last year, but we can still build toward the future without having to give up a great draft pick. Yeah. I mean, I think the funny thing, if you look at the experts from last year, right, they would have predicted the order of standings, the exact opposite of what they ended up <laughs> Good when point. the season yeah. was over. So nobody has any idea what's going to happen. Really. We've talked about the wide receivers. I think is interesting. I'll throw this out to the group other than the top three, which I think is the easy part of this conversation. Who in that next group, the other wide receivers in this draft, do you guys like who's your, I'll steal a draft show term from, from Dave here. Who's everyone's pet cat and wide receiver outside <laughs> the top three. You know, I'll name a guy that I, I think would, would be addition here. Like we, we did go get Curtis Samuel, so it takes some of that pressure off having to target this. Again, I think the plan going in is to take the best player available because we do have um, quite a few needs across the board, and we have the luxury because of what we did again in free agency for that. But Diami Brown of North Carolina, you know, this is a guy that has probably some room to grow, some potential, but he's a big playmaker. Uh, he's got that speed to get the opposite of Terry McLaurin. Curtis Samuel has it as well, but I think Curtis Samuel can, you know, has also lived a lot in the slot while you're asking more of him. Uh, you can move him around a little bit. I do think that they want someone to, you know, really just go fast, go far. Like that's all we're going to ask of you. We'll grow you into other roles. Maybe Elijah Moore out of Mississippi. Um, another guy that has the ability to kind of have different gears and, and really just kind of get away from those defenders. I think that if we do go receiver is uh, the kind of guy that we are going to be looking for. You know, I'll throw uh, I'll throw Julie another UF nod because uh, one guy <laughs> I absolutely love Kadarius Tony. Uh, maybe maybe it's the uniform, but he reminds me a lot of Percy Harvin in the sense that if you put the ball in his hands, he's going like he's he's gone, and that's that's terrifying. It's actually it's devastating for me covering the Cowboys. I love watching receivers, talking about receivers. There's so many good ones in this draft. And the Cowboys don't really need one, which is a massive bummer. Um, another guy that I'm absolutely enamored with is Oklahoma State's Tylen Wallace. Uh, there's nothing super crazy about his game. Like, he's not super fast. He's not super tall. But he just goes up and gets the ball. He honestly, he reminds me a lot of Michael Gallup, who's obviously already here on the roster. Um, and that, that'll be interesting for the Cowboys. It's, it's not something they're going to do in the first round. Probably not the second round either. But... Michael Gallup is entering a contract year. You probably want to keep a strength strong. Uh, you know, C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper are great, but if you lose Gallup to free agency next year, it wouldn't hurt to have another guy waiting in the wings. So, you know, like John mentioned, with 10 picks, I would hope that they find a way to spend at least one of them on a guy down the line. So, Fran, Dave just mentioned managed to complain about having C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, and <laughs> Michael Gallup. Pretty impressive. Not bad. I mean, and I'm also equally impressed that he found a way to not mention, oh, the Kyle Pitts could fall to number 10. Like, <laughs> hey. that one wasn't squeezed in there. If that, if that happens, all bets are off, okay? Like, let's... <laughs> to me, I mean... But I... if that happens, it kind of works to all of our advantage because their defense couldn't stop any of us. So <laughs> you're, you're not wrong, but... 
you want to go. Hey, that's, you know, whenever I bring up Kyle Pitts, fans say, well, we're going to have to score 40 a game to win. And I'm like, that's fine. With Kyle Pitts, they'll score 50. Who cares? <laughs> Let's go. Well, I like Darius Tony. Of course, I have to. You know, if Pitts wasn't out there, you gave it to number one. You know, he was off. Um, but, you know, he's a little smaller of a guy, too, as well. Um, but, you know, look, I, I wouldn't argue if he came here at all. I think he'd be a great guy. I think and it speaks to this receiver class that you've brought up so many names. I mean, Kadarius Toney and Elijah Moore, uh, Deami Brown, Tylen Wallace, all four of those guys are outstanding. You throw in a guy like Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, who is uh, different than some of those guys in that he's a, a pure technician, uh, can get off press coverage. He can create separation. Uh, went back this past year after initially opting out. The Big Ten uh, announces they're going to play, so he gets back in there. And, um, you know, he fought through COVID-19 reportedly over the summer, uh, was able to bounce back and even have the level of production he did, uh, I thought was really, really impressive. But, uh, you know, all these guys, such interesting skill sets. No matter what you're looking for at receiver, uh, there's you're bound to find it in this draft. So many different body types and skill sets. And I'll throw out Dave's LSU guy, Terrace Marshall, who, you know, there aren't many sneaky, sneaky, good pick six <laughs> foot two plus wide receivers in this draft. And he's one of the few guys. And I wonder if they, if he was the number two with Joe Burrow two years ago and they didn't have Chaser Jefferson, would he have put up those types of numbers? I think he has the talent to do it. This year, their quarterback wasn't the same, so his numbers were down. And then, look, there's just like a dozen, five, ten guys that ran like in the high four fours. I mean, take your pick. You know, Rondell Moore ran a sub four, four, obviously. He's super fast. Elijah Moore, somebody mentioned. Throwing, you know, Kay Johnson, small school. D. Eskridge, smaller school. There's just so many slot guys that you can get in round three or round four of this draft. It's just so, so deep. And, and I think – this is really what we're going to see now, right? With all the seven-on-seven seven football in high school, all the spread offenses in college, this is just something I think we're going to have almost a constant flow of. Even, remind me, two years ago, we did not have a wide receiver taken in the first round, but then you had DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel and A.J. Brown picked in the second round. So I just think this is going to be a position, and I wonder – and I'll throw this out, is this going to at some point affect the free agency market of wide receiver where teams say, look, we can find a guy in a draft. Like every year, this guy's in the draft. So maybe we're not going to go to the top of the market to bring Which, in a wide receiver at some point. I don't know if I'm ready to say that right now just because it's so weird with the shrinking cap and the mm. COVID year and everything. And I mean, Kenny Galladay got himself a heck of a nice deal at the end That's of the day. Fair point. It, it took him a little <laughs> bit longer than he probably wanted to, but he got himself a nice payday. So I'm not ready to say that, but I think it's an amazing point. And that's, you know, obviously I love watching Amari, C.D. Lamb, and, and Michael Gallup, but it's, it, it's so easy to find these guys these days. I mean, Michael Gallup was pick 81, came in right away, contributed as a rookie. C.D. Lamb was making a case to be in the rookie of the year conversation before Dak Prescott got hurt. Justin Jefferson won rookie or should have won rookie of the year. In my opinion, I'm a little bit biased because I went to LSU. Um, it's just, it's almost like an assembly line. You can draft these guys and put them right into the starting lineup. And that's, that's kind of why I mentioned Michael Gallup earlier is do you want to try to find a way to pay Michael Gallup 16, 17 million a year, or do you just want to go pluck another guy off the assembly line? And it's starting to become, you know, it sounds harsh to say easy, but there's just so many great receivers that it's just, it's very, it's a very convincing argument to just keep drafting these guys and keep it rolling. I need to apologize to Julie, by the way, there's been two or three LSU mentions. I know that offends her sensibilities. And I also forgot Terry McLaurin, who was also in that great second round class. Very true. Round. So very two true. apologies, my fault. 
Yeah, I was about to say, you, you want to talk about this, you know, as you go through the evaluations of the receivers, you know, the one to six, they're kind of almost a little bit interchangeable, um, a good bit in this draft. Like, I mean, if you don't get that one or two guy, you're still going to get a quality guy at five or six in this draft. But since you kept mentioning LSU, I was like, you know, what? I needed another reason to not care for the Cowboys. Um, people always ask me being a Florida girl in the SEC, you know, who is my biggest rival? I'm like any other team in the SEC, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I'm glad to know that I have, I have double reason to make sure that we go up and perform this season, but I'll try yeah. not to, uh, chuck my shoe during this segment. Try to keep that. <laughs> That's right. yeah, you know, going to the Ohio state, Terry McLaurin's surprised. They drafted him to be a special teams guy. And it just goes to show that, you know, you put him in his spot, give him the opportunity. Um, you know, it, it is interesting because I had Pierre Garçon on the show just a little bit ago, and he said that whole concept of the crazy diva receiver is kind of going away, that to really be impactful, you have to play multiple positions. You have to play defense. You have to really just do whatever you can to contribute to be on the field. And I think that's an interesting argument as well. Two more topics I want to get to. I think the edge rusher class is fascinating. I had a couple of scouts on the last couple of weeks on, on our various podcasts, your Giants Huddle podcast, and everyone says this is the most dangerous edge rushing class they've ever seen, where guys, they have that little nugget that'll entice you, and then you just see these huge red flags, and you don't know who to pick. So, Julie, I'm going to go to you first, because Washington has perfected drafting defensive linemen. You're just the best at it. You, you just draft great guys year after year. So your thoughts on, on the defensive line class, and who knows, maybe you guys will pick another one. I have no idea. But, boy, this is one of those classes where it's going to be hard to put your finger on the guy that's going to boom or bust. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's another player coming out of um, Ohio State that under Chase is on him. Is it more? Getting that right? Yeah. Um, you know, look, it's not a position we're necessarily needing to target. So in all honesty, I don't have as much to say. We kind of like the dynamic duo of Chase Young, Montez Sweat, two first rounders coming at you. Um, you know, maybe we can bring it again. I think that linebacker that can come down and maybe blitz and bring a little extra pressure. Um, but, you know, I, I, that's not an area that we're necessarily short on. What do you guys think of the edge class? I'll let you go first, Fran. I'm trying sure. to formulate just how disappointed I am by this by this position because I am, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that really it's going to be one of those positions where the beauty's in the eye of the beholder, John. Uh, when you look at all these guys, like you said, they all have traits that are going to be admirable, that are going to be attractive to teams. Uh, you know, whether it's somebody's great production, like a Greg Rousseau, the traits of Jalen Phillips, both those guys from Miami. You look at Quiddy Pay, just a really well-rounded player. Aziz Ojolari from Georgia. Uh, you know, he's a little bit undersized. He's a little bit vertically challenged, but he's long and he's got the ability to turn the corner. Uh, Carlos Basham has been doing it for years at Wake Forest and, and wins with power and wins with effort. So, you know, no matter what you're looking for, I think you, you've got some options here. But as you mentioned, there's not that one guy, the, the Miles Garrett, the Chase Young, the Nick and Joey Bosa, that is going to be the, the slam dunk top three, top five pick. That's why I feel like this class gets a little bit ridiculed. But then you look at it and you say, all right, well, there, there's a handful of guys that have a lot of talent and the upside is there. It's just a matter of whether or not they're able to reach it. And that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. Look, I apologize in advance if I'm complaining about having a number 10 overall pick. I get it. But it's, it's funny to think like 99% of the time, if you're picking in the top 10, you've got a shot at a really great pass rusher. Maybe not always an edge, but, you know, last year you had Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw D-tackle. You talk about the Bosa brothers. You talk about 
Leonard Williams a few years ago. I know that was a little ways back, but there are guys that are always up there except this year. Like it just doesn't seem like it's there. And that's a shame because, you know, the Cowboys have Demarcus Lawrence, they have Randy Gregory, uh, but there's not a whole lot else behind them in terms of guys that can get to the quarterback. And uh, I don't think it's in the cards at number 10. You know, some people talk about Quiddy Pay. He's certainly super athletic. I don't know if I trust the entire body of work that I would spend a top 10 pick on him. Same thing goes for both of the Miami guys, to be honest with you. Um, so, you know, maybe, you know, you talk about the second round, maybe you're talking about like a boogie Basham out of Wake Forest or something like that. But in terms of like premier pass rushing talent at the top of the draft, I, I just don't think it makes sense for where the talent is this year. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, you know, it's a shame Jalen Phillips has that injury history with the concussions because if he didn't, I think he could be in that top 10 conversation, yeah. but obviously that's the stuff that the medical personnel can have to figure out. Final question before I get your predictions, Micah Parsons, I think is an interesting prospect. You know, we saw Devin White's impact in the Super Bowl. I just wonder, and you can judge by how much the guys at this position get paid in free agency, right? What the position value part of this conversation is for a guy like Micah Parsons. His friend, I'll go to you first because he's not a coverage linebacker, right? He's a guy in third down. You're going to want to blitz. You don't want him necessarily playing coverage yet. He's just new to the position. Not so great at that yet. But at the same time, his physical traits are just off the chart. So how do you see the league trying to balance all that out? Yeah, I think it's one of the big conversations that a lot of people have and one of the big debates that a lot of people have. Uh, John, you are no stranger to those debates because uh, I'm sure you had them a few years ago when the Giants selected Saquon Barkley at number two. You had those same positional value discussions and those you're going to have to have those with linebacker. I do think, too, when you look at Devin White, when you look at Devin Bush, those guys were green dot guys on defense. They're, they're going to be the play callers, the guys that are going to be the, the field generals in the middle of the defense. And if you are a linebacker that presents that skill set, I do think that that adds another extra layer of value uh, that maybe you know we don't talk about quite enough. Uh, unfortunately, us on the outside, we don't meet with these guys to get a full sense of whether or not they're capable of being that. And so that's why uh, I almost reserve judgment in terms of saying, oh, this guy can be that guy or he can't be. But I do think that's another layer that isn't discussed quite enough for that spot. Yeah, it's funny because you mentioned Saquon and not, you know, the Cowboys drafted Zeke in the top five yeah. not that long ago. And, and it was a widely popular move at the time. I think a lot of people would probably reassess how they feel about that now. But in 2016, the vast majority of people were very on board with that pick. And now we hear five, you know, five years later. And I think for me personally, if I'm spending a top five pick, I need you to have a drastic impact on the passing game. Like I need you to throw, catch, cover, block, or sack the quarterback. Like that's what I'm looking for in a top 10 pick. And so if you're going to draft Micah Parsons, he's a, I mean, he's a hell of an athlete. Obviously, like you turn on his tape and it's, it's insane. Um, and, you know, maybe there's an argument, again, not really knowing what Dan Quinn wants in his defense. Dan Quinn, you know, they call it a Leo. He loves to use, like, a pass-rushing linebacker. He did it with Bruce Irvin in Seattle for years. Uh, Vic Beasley kind of filled that role for him in Atlanta for a while. If you wanted to draft Micah Parsons and have him rush the passer, you know, Devin White's a great example, John. Just throwing LSU players out there for me. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> if he's going to have seven, eight, nine sacks a season – I'm on board with it, but if he's more of an off-ball linebacker, I'm just not convinced the value's there, especially when you're talking about, you know, guys like Patrick Sertan and J.C. Horner there as well. I think that's more valuable to me, but that's just my opinion. Well, I think if you guys all want to pass on him, I don't know, it could be very intriguing for us. <laughs> that's a good point. 
That's a really good point. And by the way, he could be one of those guys that slips, Julie, no question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, I, coach loves those hybrids. He loves those guys that are versatile. You know, you figure out a way to put them in. Um, so, you know, look, I, I think if he were to follow us, that would be fantastic. I, I have a feeling that would probably make them say, okay, let's sit back and figure out what's going on. I still anticipate seeing him available at 19. I'm just offended nobody's mentioned any NYU football player so far during this call, but that's just me. <laughs> hey, we, we haven't lost a game in like 100 years. We're, we're, we're great. Uh, final, final, final question. We'll go in order this time of, of draft pick. So, Dave Hellman, you get the floor, a position I'm sure the Cowboys would rather not have. Yeah. But who do you think the Cowboys get at number 10 if you had to guess right now? Uh, I mean, I won't, I won't say the other guy's name. I've done it enough. Uh, we don't think he'll be there, but I mean, if you're, if you're asking me to bet on it right now, I honestly think they need, they need a cornerback. They want a cornerback. There are two very good cornerbacks at the top of this draft. Uh, would obviously would be three, if not for Caleb Farley's medical situation. I think that probably dings him a little bit. Um, I, I think it'll be Patrick Sertan, and I, I think he'll be there, honestly, with all of the offensive firepower. I think they like Sertan a little bit more. That's not a knock on horn. Uh, but, yeah, I think unless something crazy happens, I think Patrick Sertan's the pick. All right, I'm going to go 11 here. Um, the cop-out answer is whichever one is left between Slater, Sewell, Waddle, and Smith, because I think that's honestly going to be the best player on the board. But if I had to guess, I think enough people will be scared of Vontae Smith that he weighs 170 pounds soaking wet. And he'll get there to 11. And remember, Joe Judge has those Nick Saban connections, and Saban loves Devontae Smith. Plays him on special teams, tough guy. I think the Giants would go there if he is there. So I will make the go on a limb and say Devontae Smith out of Alabama. Fran? I, I hate to be this guy, but I do feel that they are in this position where they can take – the best player that falls to them from this point. So when you talk about, uh, you know, Sertan and Smith go off the board, all right, well, is Jalen Waddle there? Is J.C. Horn there? Did Carolina take one of them? Did Denver take one? Uh, who is there? And I do feel that they've got that ability and then the ability to trade down as well. So, uh, you know, I, it's, it, it's the cop-out, but I do feel that's the way they end up going. I don't think that they're going into this saying, we need to take a corner here. We need to take a linebacker or an offensive lineman. Uh, they've got the ability to go a number of ways, and they'll follow the board. Pick a player, friend. I'm not letting you walk away that easy, dude. Come on. Get yeah, nice. All right, all right. So uh, we'll, we'll say Waddle. If Jalen Waddle's there uh, with the, under, under this board, uh, that would be the way they go. I've never heard a Philly guy be so wishy-washy about anything in my entire life. <laughs> you have to know that this is me. This is my character. This, this is the way. This is the role I play. <laughs> is Joey. that going along with, like, the city of brotherly love? We love you all. We'll we love you. everybody. I know. <laughs> That's I'm right. exactly right. Um, okay, I, I think we have to go defense, and I, I'm going to go with uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa out of Notre Dame. I think this is a very versatile player. He probably fits a lot of needs. Again, versatility is so important to this coaching staff. Um, they like to just interchange the guys, be able to match them up depending on whomever all three of you teams put out there on the field. I think Jeremiah is that guy that can come in and have an immediate impact and be definitely an upgrade from where we were last year. Very good. Okay, I'll give everybody a chance here. Uh, where can they find your best draft content, everything you're doing for the draft? Let's do some cheap self-promotion. Uh, Fran, we'll start with you this time. Sure. So you can certainly uh, find the Journey to the Draft podcast wherever podcasts can be found. We go twice weekly all, all year long. To, uh, every single week, uh, we put out two episodes a week uh, over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at EaglesXOs. 
that am I next? Yeah, okay. sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's that awkward silence of Zooms. Nobody wants to be rude, right? Um, look, WashingtonFootball.com is just where we have everything. Um, we're recreating our podcast, so uh, that's the joys of coming in and trying to make something new. So um, just our website, we've got it all. Well, we look forward to it, Dave. Yeah, I mean, you can find everything I write, say, and whatever else on DallasCowboys.com. Uh, we do have the draft show, which I think is in like its eighth season at this point. We also go twice a week. It's Cowboys centric, but I promise you, whether like you can listen to it as a fan of any team in the division, any team in the league. Uh, we've got former scouts like Bucky Brooks and Brian Broadus on the show. Dane Brugler, who does amazing work for The Athletic, is on our show um it's it's wonderful we do it twice a week you can find it on our site on our mobile app you can find it on any other podcast app and uh i'm on twitter at hellman dc talking draft like way more often than i need to be but <laughs> i'm i'm out there for sure show branded gear hellman very fancy <laughs> i am officially impressed all right and for the giants you can find me on twitter at schmelk that's with two e's um, and you can find our draft coverage on Big Blue Kickoff Live. It's our daily show every weekday at noon. Uh, we've been talking to beat writers that cover all these college teams about the college prospects. And then the Giants Huddle podcast is our interview podcast. We just did a – Lewis Reddy gave us 20 minutes. What a wonderful guy. He just gave us great information. We've had Mike Garofolo, Greg Cassell, uh, Hellman's guy, Brian Broadus. So make sure you guys go check that out. Again, much like what Dave said, it's Giants talk, but it's frankly, at this time of year, it's – prospect talk so if like any of these teams all these places are great place to go for content if you want to learn about prospects coming out in the draft everybody thank you very much i officially close the first ever nfc east roundtable we thank our trio for joining me on that first ever nfc east roundtable that was fun i really had a ball Hopefully we can do it again as we get closer to the season. Thanks to everyone for being with us. To Julie, to Dave, to Fran, I am John Schmelk. The Giants Huddle Podcast, once again, is part of the Giants Podcast Network, presented by Investors Bank at Giants.com slash podcast, at Giants Mobile App, and your favorite podcast platforms. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star positive review. And don't forget to check out Big Blue Kickoff Live, our daily show every weekday at noon when we talk Giants football. And obviously right now we're focusing on the NFL Draft. For our quartet, I am John Schmuck. We'll see you next time. Stay safe, everyone.